listen, you want to know something? After that event, I got, I will tell you, it must have been more than a hundred emails from strangers, from people saying, thank you for saying what I've been thinking. Those reality TV shows are not an accurate representation of what real estate agents do. This is Deconstruct by The Real Deal. After taking a month off, we're back with all new episodes, guests, and a slightly different format. I'm Isabella Farr. And I'm Susanna Kavanaugh. Today, we're diving into the latest on Manhattan's luxury market. And later, you'll hear from Bess Friedman. She's the CEO of Brown Harris Stevens. We talked about the catalyst behind the market slowdown and how brokers are adapting. Plus, we got into a little bit of the broker drama that came out of our May showcase. But let's lay out some of the groundwork for how we got here. First off, people just don't seem to be wanting to buy a high-end condo in Manhattan right now. According to the Ocean Report, one week this summer, only 12 contracts for luxury homes were signed, marking the Manhattan market's worst week in 18 months. It seems like every report for the past six weeks has painted this picture that fewer luxury properties are selling and the ones that are are in that $4 million range. Absolutely. But what's interesting is that prices haven't really moved that much within that period. So the median asking price in July we're seeing was $6.4 million, and that was basically the same as it was back in November. Right. So people that are putting their homes on the market, these sellers, they seem to still be hopeful. You know, they're seeing the condo across the hall that sold for $6 million last year. They're saying, well, why can't mine sell for that much now? The caveat is that a lot has changed in a year. Well, yeah, I mean, even this summer, we've seen the Federal Reserve hike rates in June. We've seen the crypto market completely crash. We've seen the stock market crash and then rise again. And inflation is, you know, the bane of everyone's existence currently. It hit 9.1% at the end of June, which was the largest increase in a year within the past four decades. So everything is more expensive, as I'm sure our listeners know. And that's a really big adjustment for a lot of people. I mean, we were coming off this two-year period where we saw the stock market continuously climb. People were making millions off random cryptocurrencies, and it was ridiculously cheap to get a mortgage, right? Rates were at all-time lows. So people generally had more money to spend on things like a $7 million condo. Right, or a second or third home at the beach or in upstate New York. And now we're seeing contracts in those suburban markets dip, which is interesting because they were the first areas to really pop off when the pandemic hit. Right. The Hamptons was this market that really boomed during the pandemic. Jonathan Miller actually called the Hamptons like a co-primary market instead of a second home vacation market. And now one of his recent reports said sales are way, way down. And that was in June. And the Fed has hiked rates twice since then. So they're now 1.5 percentage points higher, which in turn has made taking out a mortgage more expensive. I'm glad that you brought up mortgages because I don't think we can talk about this without bringing up the fact that it is more expensive to buy a home with a mortgage right now as interest rates have gone up. You know, I was doing calculations on this and it was something that kind of blew my mind. The average mortgage rate in July of last year was 2.87%, right? So say you buy a $6.8 million condo with a 30-year mortgage and 20% down with that 2.87% interest rate. That's a monthly payment of $22,500. Last month, mortgage rates were sitting at around 4.8%. Your monthly payment suddenly goes up an extra $6,000 on the same price, the same condo, the same down payment, but it's this massive extra chunk of interest. And in New York, even though rents are skyrocketing, some potential home buyers have taken one look at that monthly premium that you talked about and they decided, hey, 
let's just stay in this lease for another year, wait it out, see what the market does. And that is driving rents even higher. But, you know, that's a story for another day. Exactly. So, you know, we're doing a lot of speculating about this. Um, So I wonder how much all of this is really affecting the luxury market. Is it really because it's just becoming too expensive to buy? So I asked Bess the exact same thing. Good afternoon. My name is Bess Friedman, and I am the CEO of Brown Harris Stevens, which is a residential real estate company. And we operate in four states, in Florida, New Jersey, Connecticut, and New York. And we have about 3,000 real estate agents. So getting to some of the nitty gritty in the market to start off, in the past few months, we've seen mortgage rates spike to near 6%. They've come back down a bit recently, but I'm wondering how you've seen that increase affect the appetite for luxury sales in New York City specifically. Specifically in New York City, we are certainly seeing a slowdown of the discretionary buyer. Somebody that maybe is buying a second home or a third home, definitely somebody is probably over the $4 million budget and somebody who can take their time and it's not a need. New York is mostly cash or a lot of cash buyers, but I think because it's not just because of the rates, I think it has to do with a lot of other external forces, including inflation, a stock market, the war, economists, some are saying we're in a recession because of the contractions that we're seeing in the economy, but then you see the jobless rate at 3.6%. So other economists say, well, we're not in a recession, but I think all of those things are making the high-end luxury buyer maybe pause and rethink if it's the right time to buy. And to establish a bit of context, can you lay out where the luxury sales market stood before the rate hikes that we've seen this year? (laughs) Well, the exuberance in the real estate market, which was 2021, uh, was record-breaking. Uh, And we saw incredible sales, high-end luxury. A lot of people made enormous sums of money during the pandemic, and they spent it like drunken sailors in 2021. You know, you saw people buying huge homes, big places, California, New York City, Palm Beach, Connecticut. People were just spending like crazy. And, you know, nothing was stopping people. The first half of this year was phenomenal. We had a really good first two quarters. Uh, And I think now we're starting to see a little bit of slowdown, which we expected. It would have been foolish to think the exuberance that lived in 2021 would continue throughout 2022. Would you say that slowdown is hitting new development disproportionately in the city as far as new condos, or is it across the board? I think it's across the board because we're still seeing a good amount of new dev get signed. uh, And there's a lot of projects uh, that are on the way. And so, you know, I think new dev, it's, I think it's too soon to come back and tell you what we think on that. We have to give it a little bit more time. Similarly, when it comes to sellers and reducing prices, a lot of people have asked me, is that happening? And I don't think we're seeing that yet. Sellers are not going to capitulate yet because it's going to take a little bit of time. What would have to happen for them to decline? you'll see sellers start to react once they see they're not getting offers or inquiries. And I've talked to a lot of real estate agents all the time, and they tell me their open houses are much lighter in attendance. The inquiries that they're getting are much less, offers are less. Um, And so I think as that goes on and the months continue to unravel, 
and they communicate that to sellers, then sellers are going to have to adjust prices. But only once that happens will you start to see it realized. You know, sellers aren't just going to react and say, okay, I'm going to just reduce. They have to wait and see that agents are reporting no offers, um, no interest, that sort of thing. And that's when sellers start to adjust prices. So I think, could it take six months? Could it take a year? Yeah, I think that's probably... If I had to guess, I would say it would probably take around that time for us to start to see a little bit of an adjustment in prices. We wrote something recently about a few listings closing below asking. So I'm wondering if that's sort of an initial sign that prices could come down or is it again too early? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a sign when there's more negotiability. When things aren't going for full ask or over, I think you see that that's a sign. But then again, sometimes we don't know if something was overpriced or priced higher than the comparables. And so I think that could be a sign, but you know, it would depend on the property. Does it matter if, you know, if you're a seller and you're pricing something, if you've baked in that financing has gotten more expensive over the past couple months, like buyers are going to recognize that, right? And of course, buyers are taking that into account because, you know, they have less affordability now. They use 3% rates now. They're almost 6%. Um, so it costs more. But again, and I say this over and over again, because it's such an important point, rates are still historically incredibly low. Yes, they've doubled. So yes, that's meaningful uh, when you're buying something. But you know, if we look back, it's still decent and could be a good time to buy if you have saved a down payment, if your credit is good, you can still, you know, uh, talk to different banks and get rates that are reasonable. And it doesn't make a huge, huge difference in your monthly nut, depending on what you're buying. Uh, but I get it. Sellers do are taking that into account because it's a negotiating leverage for buyers because they can say, well, rates have gone up. So now we should have more flexibility. You should offer us a bigger discount. And sellers have to listen to that. They can't just, you know, ignore it. So how would you advise brokers to adapt to make the most of what seems to be a more finicky market, I guess we could say? I absolutely love finicky, difficult, challenging markets. I mean, I have to tell you, it's for me, you know, running, overseeing a real estate company with all these talented agents, it's ideal because that's when their skill and their experience comes into play. That's when people are coming into the marketplace. They want to talk to the experts and understand what's going on and get the best advice possible. And I think this is when an agent really will flourish in this environment. It's a finicky market, but you want to talk to people who can advise you who've been through what happened after 9-11 or the collapse of Lehman Brothers or when the pandemic hit, when we sat here and for three months, the whole market was shut down here in New York City. They can walk people through that, talk to them, give them solid advice and tell them what they've seen before and what they could probably expect in the future. Housing is essential. Everybody needs to have a roof over their head. It's an emotional commodity. And so I think agents really do well in this environment because they offer that psychology to people in nervous, you know, this is a little bit of a nervous time for people. And then lastly, I wanted to follow up on the reality brokerage debate that came out of our showcase a few months back. So of course you did. You of know, course you did. I, I do. I do. I have to. <laughs> um, so as you probably know, Ryan Serhant released a video after the fact, and he said that, you know, traditional brokerages are, quote, scared of the innovations that TV shows are introducing. So building a brand around an agent, leaning heavily on content creation, et cetera. 
Do you think that traditional brokerages can benefit from any of those innovations or do you stand by your take that reality TV on a whole is bad for the industry? Well, those are two separate things. So let me just answer your first question. I 100% support those innovations, all of them. We need them, whether it's Instagram and TikTok, we do support those. And I know Ryan released a video, which I just, I didn't respond to. I know a lot of people sent it to me, to be honest with you, in all candor, I didn't even watch it. And I like Ryan a lot. I think he's a really talented guy, super smart, and I respect him and his work ethic. I just think that reality TV and the point that I was making that day that created a lot of uh, havoc, I guess, is that those reality TV shows are not an accurate representation of what real estate agents do on a daily basis. And I think it makes it look very easy. The consumer, the people that are watching that, they watch that show and they really get the impression that agents are the schlocky, flashy people who dress a certain way and just show up, have a car and driver, and then just collect a check. And it's not, that's what I was trying to explain. It's such a hustle. It's so hard. Behind the scenes, what agents do, nobody would watch that. You'd fall asleep because they're on the computer. They're making phone calls. They're working hard. They only get paid for results. And that's what I was trying to point out to Ryan. I know he got offended by the whole thing. I'm absolutely, I'm not scared. I love that he's here and in the industry. I welcome competition. We've been around for 150 years and I respect what he's doing. Just Like Law Season, Deconstruct airs every Monday wherever you get your podcasts. So subscribe now so you don't forget. Next week, we're chatting about the highest earners in real estate, who took home the big bucks and some of the perks that they got. Tune in then.